From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 110. Today's show is brought to you by Casper and Mac Weldon. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So Monday morning. Episode 110 Whew. today. That would be, there, that in binary, that means something. Again, I don't I really know. don't want to go through this again. <laughs> Do you have to go back on the talk show to find out the answer to your question? Mm-hmm. I think that's how it works. Aloha. Five. I think it means five. Big news today. 2016 Upgrade Merchandise. On sale. We have a ton of links in the show notes, and the reason there's a ton of links is because we have a plethora of products distributed from different nations. Yep. Yep, we uh, we're back on the merchandise uh, horse. People decided that they uh, they they let us know that they wanted uh, the return of the upgrade merchandise, which we made available what in the spring, I think, for a couple of weeks. Yep, and it's getting uh, chilly out there, so having uh, having the hoodie come back when people might actually use the hoodie seemed to make sense too. Yep, I've been getting a lot of use out of my hoodie actually. Real time follow up one one zero is six in binary. Thank okay. you to the chat room for that. Thank you, chat room. It's super important. Right, so please give me a moment, dear listener, to explain to you the merchandise options Ooh, that are available yes. to you. Now we have a couple of special things that we're doing. That we've uh, one of them we brought back, which is the hoodie. So we have an upgrade hoodie. I have two of them. I absolutely love the hoodie. It's no longer a secret that there is a special insignia on the inside. It is a reprint of the original hoodie with the insignia on the inside and the patch on the chest. We, we decided, um, yeah, and it's an embroidered patch on the uh, on the chest. The uh, We decided, we thought about doing a different one on the inside. Uh, but what we decided, we didn't want to be like elitist i thought about like having something on the inside that said i didn't get the first batch but <laughs> something like that and we decided no we were just going to keep it the same because our elitism only extends to the secret society of upgradians and does not continue inside the secret society we don't want to start in, a system of, of upgrading no 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 we're not like that now this hoodie can only be produced and sent and distributed from the u.s as we have cotton bureau making this because it's a special item even for cotton bureau because of the yeah. insane demands that we had for mm-hmm. them for this hoodie. Um, the same goes for a special version of the Upgrade logo tee. This is the first time we have done a t-shirt with just the Upgrade logo on it. So just the circle with the power button and the up arrow. That's all it is. It's just the circles like an outline. Now, there is a gray version and a red version available from Cotton Bureau, but the real one is the jet black one. This is what you want. We have a black t-shirt with a black foil logo printed yep. on it. I think the foil. I think all of them get the get the black foil, so it's super fancy, shiny Ooh. black on all of them. But the the one the reason for it is that we have the black on black option. How much blacker could it be? None no, more black. None more black. Now these two items are only available from Cotton Bureau again because of our crazy demands. Uh, we're also bringing back the Brainball T-shirt. Now the Brainball T-shirt is available from Cotton Bureau and also from Teespring. F- uh, distributing from the European Union, so Cotton Bureau for the US. Teespring for the EU, you can get the Brainball shirt, and there's also a version of the Upgrade Podcast logo t-shirt. We have red, and we are working with Teespring to get a grey option added within the next couple of days. So we'll mention this again next week, so if you miss it out because you don't want a red one, you want a grey one, and you're in Europe, you'll be able to get it. 
Yeah, they don't have a fancy foil or anything like that, but they, you know, we 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 hear from people in Europe like you, Mike, yep. <laughs> that uh, the Cotton Bureau shipping to Europe is uh, expensive, which it yep. is, and they do Teespring does a European fulfillment version, and so we've decided to sort of split it like I think the definitive versions are the Cotton Bureau versions, but yes. um, if you're in the EU and you don't want to pay that very high uh, shipping cost, we've set up these Teespring campaigns, so hopefully it will work. This is an experiment. Yep, you can do it. On, look, Frankly, that black shirt, the black on black shirt, I'm going to pay the really high cost because I want it, but you don't have to. So there's going to be a bunch of links in the show notes. It's all clearly labeled. If you're in the European Union and you want to buy from Cotton Bureau, you want to get the hoodie, you want to get the special shirt, you can. But just be forewarned that the shipping will be high and there is also a chance that you'll be hit with customs, right? This is just a possibility because it's coming from the US, which is why we've done the best we can to put some uh, additions on Teespring as well. So we'll talk about this again next week as a reminder in case you forget, but go and clad yourself out in upgrade merchandise. And remember that every time you buy a T-shirt, you're helping me buy my house. (laughs) Remember that. (laughs) Because believe it or not, interesting pitch. Buying a house is very expensive, so mm. you can not Turns only out. not only will you look good on the outside, you can feel good on the inside by buying upgrade mer- merchandise. Beautiful. Last week we spent some time talking about the potential of a October event for the Max. Jason, you were very mm. confident that there October. will be uh, something in October this month, and just after we recorded, as always. There was a a press release from Apple stating that they are going to be moving their fourth quarter results call because of a scheduling conflict. Mm -hmm. This doesn't necessarily mean that something's coming, but it does mean that Apple has something going on in October. Yeah, Tim Cook uh, has a dentist appointment that day. <laughs> he can't make it. So he, he can't make it. Yeah, they, they had to move it for that. I've made that joke like three times on podcast now, but hey, there it is. I Yeah, and there's lots of speculation about what that means and if it means that there might be an event earlier or later or something based on that. And we just don't We just don't know. We don't, we don't know. It, it, it sounds like uh, it might be related, but I'm not sure I can look at that and say, oh, this is what that means. Mm-hmm. It's it's more indication, right? It's just further indication of something coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jason, you uh, we were talking last week about all the purgeable storage. Is that last week? Purgeable storage and uh, iCloud stuff? Probably. Last week or the week before, yeah. Yeah, so I I wrote a couple of pieces on Six Colors last week. I, I sat down and wrote like 2,500 words about Sierra as a supplement to my review. You know, why not? Um, about purgeable storage and about iCloud Drive. And we'll put the links in the show notes. Purgeable storage, you know... I, uh, the question I got that I never I never uh, got an answer to when I was writing the review, but that I've gotten some more information about now is what uh, like how free space is defined in Sierra. And the short version is it's defined as the amount of free space on disk as we used to know it, plus whatever you have that is purgeable, which is basically files that the system knows exist in the cloud and can be re-downloaded later, and so they can delete them if they want. And that's there's a whole list of things that that can be um it it includes things like icloud photo library photos if you're syncing with the cloud um, and have managed storage on it's icloud icloud drive stuff um, dictionaries and fonts and some other stuff that the system knows about yeah and and it it it, uh ideally it's transparent which is basically if you if it says you have 60 gigs free and you actually have what we used to think of as 40 gigs free plus 20 of purgeable and you try to copy something that's 50 gigs it should just happen and you should notice no difference and what it's doing in the background is it will purge 
not just 10 gigs, but it'll purge more than 10 gigs because your Mac works best when it's got some free space. So it'll purge a little bit more than that. But that's the idea there. The The problems are that there are bugs, <laughs> and I ran into them where my system lost track of how much actual space I had and was also inconsistent in showing me free space between various different places in the system where you can see it. So there are bugs in Sierra that uh, can affect this, that my understanding is Apple's working on the bugs. That's always good to hear. But um, if you're a if you're a Mac nerd, especially somebody who who uh, prides yourself on knowing what's going on on Mac, maybe helps other people with their Macs too. You should know that this is a complete change in how Sierra defines storage. It's just not um, it's not what it was. It's free space doesn't mean what it used to be. It's a it's a very different concept now. Yeah, um, the thing about this purgeable space thing is it's very confusing, right? about showing you this and you've got this but it's this much you know like you have this much total but this much and like splitting it down is confusing but i i do agree with the reasoning like if they know they have this amount of space that can be removed i can see why you would show it in this way like it would be even better from a user perspective if they just didn't split it up like they were just like you have 90 gigs available like and then rely on the system to deal with it but i think that maybe it's too new and they can't give full reliance on the fact that it will automatically do it, right? So they break it down a little bit. But it's super confusing and super buggy, it seems, right? Because you run into some pretty nasty things that we've spoken about. It's which- been buggy for me. I mean, I, I ran into some... I have... I have not seen them all repeatedly, but yeah, when I was writing my review, I ran into some pretty nasty bugs where it, um, at one point it thought my drive was half the size that it was. <laughs> and, th- and this is the thing, once, once you start monkeying with the free space calculation, um, the problem is that bugs can get really weird because now the system is making up its own number for free space and what if it gets it wrong because there's a bug? And that, that definitely happened to me. I still, I still wonder to myself why they, they didn't wait for the new Apple file system to do something like this, where it could be built to think about it more sensibly than bolting this stuff on. It just seems strange to me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, this is above the file system level, though. This That's the thing, is that here, here you need to uh, have something in the system that designates what files are purgeable and not. And, uh, and I, I wonder if... I don't know a lot about the new Apple file system, but it's possible that this is a file system level thing um, where the OS can define... You know, you can mark a file as purgeable, and it it, it does all that calculations itself, and it and it purges the files automatically. But that's not I even then I think that's an OS level thing, not a file system level thing. So I think they had to do both. They have to do a new file system, and they have to update how we handle all this stuff in the uh, in the operating system. Anyway, it's not you know with so many of these features, it's it's not fundamentally a bad idea it's i think it's actually fundamentally a good idea i think it's all in how it's uh, implemented and if it's buggy and it's buggy right now or at least it has been buggy for me when i've uh, when i've used it so yeah the samsung galaxy note 7 debacle continues and continues to rage on into new and unforeseen pl- uh, instances so over the over the weekend there were a, a multiple reports of replacement Note 7s catching on fire. Uh, one caught fire on a plane before the plane took off, thankfully. Uh, well, say they catch fire, they, they start billowing smoke, is a, is a better way to put it. They, they don't... <laughs> sure. I mean, what, what I'm saying is like the idea of something catching on fire is, is... The image that it conjures up, I think, is slightly different in some instances, like especially the one on the plane. It got really hot and smoke started pouring out of it. 
Um, but hey, but it was it was so hot that it burnt through the carpet. But I don't actually think it was a fire as such. I know I'm being super picky, but I just mm. wanted to paint the story a little bit better because a fire on a plane means everybody is in like horrific trouble, and it wasn't so much that, if that makes sense. Yeah, However, I don't know. there have been I think five reports over the weekend of Note Sevens catching on fire. I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, there's been some great reporting from The Verge. Uh, Jordan Golson at The Verge has done an incredible job with this story, um, and I love the way that he is after maybe the second or third of these that went up, he's been ending all of his stories in the same way where he's just like, you just, if you own one of these phones, take it back immediately yeah. to the carrier. Like no joke, this thing, you cannot use it. Right. And I, and I really like his kind of just like, I'm being just upfront. Like I've done my reporting, but now let me tell you, stop using this phone. Right. Which, and, and I, I, I really appreciated that kind of reporting. Anyway, uh, as it stands right now, there was breaking news last night, which uh, broke during the presidential debate. Shocker. That Samsung is basically halting production currently on the Note 7, um, and a bunch of uh, carriers, including AT&T, I believe, has said that it will not be selling them. Uh, EE in the UK is not doing refunds now, but they're saying they will do exchanges for a uh, uh, S7 Edge, which is a similar phone, but just smaller, I guess, and doesn't mm. have the pen. Uh, so, as it stands, this phone has been an absolute disaster. Samsung have really done a terrible job with this from a, you know, from a production standpoint, um, and also from a communication standpoint as well. Um, I think that they have done a terrible, terrible job of all of this, and it seems like right now this phone is 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 over. It is game over, and I think that the repercussions for Samsung on this are going to be long-reaching because it's gotten to the point where to keep messaging simple, like on airplanes and stuff, they just say, if you have a Samsung device, turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I got that one yesterday when I flew. Did you? Yeah, it was pretty funny. It was a, If you have a Samsung uh, Galaxy Note 7, turn it off, don't charge it. That was the, I was flying on Southwest, which is the airline that had the, the flight that had to turn around on the tarmac because of <laughs> the Galaxy Note that was billowing smoke. So they're very sensitive to it. But yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, they could go on selling Galaxy Notes and they could even relaunch the Galaxy Note 7 and I'm sure they would sell some. I'm sure they could be, they could promise that it's fine now. I mean, they already promised that once, I think, and that seems to not be the case. Um, but you're right. I think that the the problem you get is that in the end, it becomes part of the mindset of everybody that this is a bad, you know, oh, is that the one that bursts into flames? And that's a hard thing to live down no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. And and so you got to ask yourself, if you're Samsung, what's the best play here? Do you kind of try to sell, you know, fix the battery problem, try to sell the, your, your stock, dramatically decrease the number of them you're making? And planned a new plan, a new brand strategy for next year that calls the, you know, maybe rebrands the note to something different or rebrands the galaxy line to something different. And just, you know, do you, do you try to get through it and, and, uh, fix rehab your existing brand value or do you just, uh, not care and throw that away and figure we got, we got to start again with something else. Do, do your rehab on the Samsung brand and, uh, n- and distance yourself from the note brand. I think I think at this point 
they need to move away from the note branding. I think that's the safest thing they to do. Remake that device, but give it a new yeah. a new name. Um, for I think they need to to know that they're going to have to set out this generation. I think they're done for this generation. They're going to have to wait until the next one now. I think because they're yeah. they're going to need some time between these. You know, you, you, they can't come out with a new phone next week. Like that, <laughs> if they do, it it won't it won't work, right? Because everyone will just what were you going to say? This one doesn't catch fire, right? You have to say <laughs> no, no, that no, no. this time for sure. <laughs> and you can't do that, right? Like, that's just not a good marketing message. I'll, like we promise, this one won't catch on fire and, and kill you. So like, I'll, you know. I'll, 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 here's my prediction: it's going to be the Samsung um, Galaxy S8 Plus. No, I, I, I'm sticking by my what some people think is a joke, but I'm being deadly serious that they call it something like the the Galaxy Arctic Eight. They're going to give it hmm. some name which signifies cold. Oh, interesting. All right, that's what I would do if I was in charge of Samsung. You know, like all, like all the colors would be like Arctic blue and frost white and <laughs> cold steel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's been a real, a real. It's just been bad. It's just it's, bad. It's a bad. It's a bad story. And there have been people who've been asking the, the people at the Verge. I saw a Twitter exchange between Michael Gartenberg from uh, Mobile Nations and Neil A. Patel from the Verge, basically saying, "Are you guys verifying these claims of these people who say that their replacements are also?" Um, exploding and uh, he said yeah we've actually we've been trying to sift through a lot of these to get the ones that we can verify and not the ones that are that are are suspicious so the verge seems to be trying pretty hard to have these be legitimate people with the one that was on the southwest they got the guy to take a photo of the box and the phone and send it to them so they could verify it so they're doing a good job with it i think yeah, I think I think they're they're trying to not um, get fished in by people who want to get their you know fake stories on websites. So, yep. which is always a challenge in a in a rush to judgment uh, like this. I got one. We got a tweet from somebody. I don't I don't even have it here. Who basically said uh, somebody reported that an iPhone seven had a discoloration uh, battery problem. Why Why is the press not going crazy over that? Uh, my I didn't respond because first off, it's not my job to investigate every report of everything that somebody on Twitter asked me to investigate. But second, I think the answer would be because uh, one phone is not a trend. <laughs> And many phones and a recall is a trend. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the difference is that you, you're going to have product failures here and there. But These things uh, have happened over history to Apple products, sure. but in small sure. batches. Like one, it might happen to one of them, but that's all you ever hear. But this is there's been a lot of these, and then there's been a lot of these again. It is a unique situation, I think. Uh, I can't recall ever seeing something like this before to a major handset. And I think Apple also uh, has a, a team now devoted to very quickly making right the issues of people who uh, bring those things up. Like very quickly, they're like, oh, we'll get you a replacement immediately and send you a gift card and all this. Like, And basically, they silence those people. Now, that what that does is that's PR. That's not a cover-up because these things are going to happen when you mass produce anything and if it's a trend then they can't do that but it uh, it it gets those you know one person had a bad experience stories maybe out of the media faster um you know not always stephen hackett (laughs) got a buzzing phone and and got a replacement but that story still kind of went around for a couple of days but uh you know i'm sure apple does that samsung i mean one of the things that the verge reported from one of the people was this mistaken uh, text message that was basically do we want to string this guy along or just let him shut it down or just let him do what he's going to do 
um, which was very much that was your Samsung PR damage control thing. And I think one of the offensive things about that is it, it came across that Samsung was more concerned about this as a PR problem than it was maybe as a product safety problem. And I'm, I'm not sure that's actually true because it, it may be that that person's job was very specifically to worry about the PR problem. But but that was the person that was talking to the customer. And, you know, the customer doesn't care about your PR problem. <laughs> that stuff is tough because this message came out. It was basically it was sent to the, the customer incorrectly. And it kind of makes it sound like they didn't care. But it was that person, the person who's doing that job is removed, you know, kind of from, from this in a way, like emotionally. Yeah. They're just getting their job done. But so this is the control. stuff that even Apple, I'm sure, say to each other when they're dealing, you know, when it's somebody's job to deal with the damage control, but it doesn't and shouldn't usually go to the right person. <laughs> you know, it, sh- it shouldn't go to the person that it's uh, that is concerning. So, I had uh, I had one more iCloud Drive item mm-hmm. or or Sierra item, but it's about iCloud Drive. We also talked about how. Um, in my review, and we talked about it, that uh, I was doing a logic project and my files got deleted by iCloud Drive out from under me. Not good. Um, and I just wanted to follow up and say what I what I discovered is partly that was due to the bug I talked about earlier, which is my drive thought that I had less free space than I actually did. So it got really desperate about what it was deleting. And part of it is that the way that the iCloud Drive managed storage uh, system works is it's kind of it doesn't know about every file on your file system it's not monitoring core storage or anything like that it's not monitoring the file system to check on file access it's doing sort of what the finder does when it says last opened which basically means you need to open something from the finder to let the system know that it's been accessed recently because although iCloud Drive says we won't delete files that have been accessed recently if you open an app and then it opens a file and doesn't update that it's you know that it's just open to file what happens it, like a like a secondary file like a file that it's referenced in its document nothing happens it doesn't get that other document doesn't get referenced and uh, this is kind of a hole in Apple's thinking where Apple's really thinking about how it designs apps which is these keynote documents that are packages. <laughs> And they're really folders that have a bunch of files in them, but with a, with a package, a project file, uh, any any access of it, it, it marks the whole thing as being accessed. And iCloud Drive's not going to delete things inside a package file. The problem when I had my Logic uh, files deleted was that the uh, Logic project that I use doesn't have the doesn't keep the audio files in the project. It just keeps them in a folder next to the project. You can do both. You can do either one. But I, I uh, for workflow reasons, basically, I keep it outside of the package because otherwise I'd be digging into the package all the time to move files in and out. and It's not worth it. Um, but it, then it runs into this where those files seemed like they hadn't been accessed in only a couple of weeks, which, again, I'm, I think is really to the bug. But, uh, but if they had been inside the package in a, in a normal kind of package format, which is the other way to do logic projects, it would, uh, it would have honored it and it wouldn't have removed those. Um, they, it turns out <laughs> that there's an API for developers that Apple has provided for a while now that lets uh, apps mark all of the files they use in their project as being accessed. And it was put in, I believe, specifically for iCloud Drive so that if you open a project file and one of the files you needed for that project was on iCloud Drive, it would say, basically, I need that file, and iCloud Drive would download it, and it would keep it there, and then you would have it. So there, the APIs exist um, if only third-party apps like Logic supported it. 
oh wait logic is written by apple mm, that's embarrassing <laughs> anyway uh apple released a tech note last week that i th- i i very rarely take credit for this stuff because i'm sure they hear from a lot of people but this tech note i suspect was caused by me and the tech note basically says if you are using a pro app <laughs> with iCloud uh, Drive, you um, here are your two options for optimized storage. One, move all your stuff out of the folders that are synced with iCloud. Or two, turn off optimized storage. <laughs> Those are your options. So, yeah. Spit nuclear is an option, <laughs> so don't, right? Don't use this feature. If, you, if you're using some apps, don't use this productivity feature with your Mac. Oh, well. Oh, oh well. All right, so just before we uh, we wrap up our follow-up slash follow-out segment, I wanted to get your opinions on the PlayStation VR as you were on oh, yeah. uh, the new screensavers on Twit um, this weekend. And there is a picture of you right on the page with the PSVR on your face. And it is PSVR week this week. Mine arrives a little later on this week, which I'm very excited about. So I wanted to kind of get from you your opinions on the, on the hardware and, and the titles that you played. Well, I only played uh, Job Simulator. Which is amazing, right? I've played it on the Vive. I freaking love that game. It's so much fun. It was like I was in uh, the Quickie Mart in The Simpsons. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, So I've only, my my VR experience is really limited. I've spent, you know, 20 minutes with the PSVR and I spent, you know, 10 or 15 minutes with the Oculus Rift. And I guess what I'd say is the PSVR seemed... I mean, in terms of the head tracking stuff, I, uh, the the fact that I could move around, I didn't feel any lag. I think it did a good job there. Um, I think the, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the graphics looked better on the on the Oculus Rift, uh, but I thought the PSVR looked fine. Um, it was almost like a Wii versus Xbox 360 kind of comparison. You know, it's not quite as high resolution, but it was perfectly fine. Um, the you use the PlayStation Move controllers kind of as your hands. Um, it was uh, I thought it was good. I thought it, I thought it worked really well. Um, uh, as a as somebody who's never going to buy a gaming PC, uh, if I get any of these, it will be the PS VR. And I don't have a PlayStation Four, so I'm definitely considering buying the bundle where you get the PlayStation Four and. Uh, and the PSVR together, mm-hmm. but I'm interested to see what other people say. I think in the end, it's going to come down to what the what the apps are, you know, what the what the games are, because you know something like uh, like Job Simulator is is fun from a novelty perspective, but um, you know, the, the, I'm not sure developers really have figured out entirely what a good VR title is and what makes it uh, worth playing in VR versus just playing it on a screen. I've played some stuff um, on various systems that i think work well with it but they tend to be in in development you know all of the stuff that i've played where where i'm like this isn't just fun like vr really makes this a worthwhile experience tend to be games that are being developed right like i've played pre-release versions or alpha Mm. versions of stuff um i'm super excited about this uh we're recording a remaster this weekend after me and Federico have had some time to play because Shahid has had one for a little while because he's a developer. Uh, So yeah, I'm super, super excited and it's all all about PSVR for me this week. Yeah, I, I, um, it was, it was good. My concern was that it was going to feel like a really um, substandard version of like the Oculus Rift and Mm -hmm. it didn't feel that way at all. It it felt, uh, it felt pretty good. And I'm not, I'm, (sighs) 
it's funny because I think in the long run, VR gaming is something that's going to be of appeal to everybody who's got a console. Um, and I understand why a lot of these initial things are based on um, uh, PCs because you want the power of the PC driving it. But it feels like a console gaming experience to me, especially since you have to have a controller. You can't have your keyboard and your mouse. It doesn't really, because you can't see them. It doesn't really work yep. that way. So I think having a console uh, VR game is uh that that sort of makes more sense to me and uh but i'm biased there because i'm not ever gonna i'm not a pc gamer really and i'm never gonna buy a gaming pc i agree with you completely stuff because even the you know the ones that work on on pc they have controllers that they use right like this is they only use pcs in my opinion because pcs are the only things that can drive them right now you know like microsoft are working on a super powerful version of their console to do to, to run something akin to Oculus, if not Oculus, so you know I'm, yeah. I'm I'm interested to see what happens there. Yep. All right. This week's episode is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Now, Mac Weldon, I'm just going to say this because <laughs> I know it to be true, is better than whatever you're wearing right now. The products that they make are so comfortable. Like mm. they make amazing underwear, undershirts. They make great uh, sweats like sweatpants and, and hoodies socks. and stuff like that. The socks. Fantastic socks. Oh. I have to tell you, Jason, I'm very sad right now because I'm I'm wearing some kind of, I will call them lounge trousers for home, um, <laughs> rather than pajamas, right? I want to sound like I'm not just recording in my pajamas. I will call lounge them lounge trousers. trousers. That's not uh, better, Mike. <laughs> because my Mac Weldon sweatpants are in the wash. And oh. it's making me very sad because they're nowhere near as comfortable. Mm. And I have gotten very used to these things. If you remember, I was originally buying those for flying, but now I oh, wear right. them all the time at home as well. So I need more <laughs> pairs of these Mac Weldon sweatpants. Clearly. Um, Clearly. I, have, I have some of their underwear and I have some of their socks. And I really love their stuff. Like, flat out, like, you know, I'm not going to say to you I really love something unless I do. And I really do love Matt Weldon's products. And no, they're really good. I I, I noticed the because uh, I only have uh, you know it, it's a it's a small percentage of my sock and under underwear drawer is Matt Weldon stuff. And when I pull one out because I tend to do that randomly, when I pull one out and it's a Matt Weldon, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's the good it's one. Be good today. Yeah. <laughs> now what, you know as well as their stuff feeling good, the buying experience is really good. They have it's really easy to buy everything. It's super simple. The more you buy, the more you save. They have this great savings bar at the top of the site, which I think is really fun. And because they believe in just making stuff that you're going to like, they want you to be comfortable at Mac Weldon. So if you don't like, if you buy something you don't like it, they'll refund you and you can keep it, no questions asked. And also, I don't think they want your worn undergarments sent. No, back they, to them. they don't want those back. Nobody no. wants those back. You can give that give that to if you don't like it, uh, don't keep it. Uh, you'll get your money back, and then give it to a friend who might like it. But wash it first. Wash it first. They have a line of silver underwear and undershirts that are naturally antimicrobial because mm. they eliminate odor. That's what they but, do. This yep. is some cool That's science right. stuff. The bugs hate uh, hate silver. That's very true. Not they only do, do Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well. You're going to look good. You're going to feel good no matter what it is you're doing. You just need to wear Mac Weldon. Trust me on this. Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. So you can get 20% off with the code UPGRADE at checkout. Thank you mm. so much to Mac Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. Yay. So, Jason, I wanted to get your opinion on something. So, uh, there was well, a lot. Of, you've come to the right place. <laughs> there was a lot of news 
about Google last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did a lot of stuff. And I just wanted to get your opinion on one, one element of what Google is doing with their Pixel phones, which yes. is the inclusion of a quick switching adapter in the box. Now, what this yes. allows you to do is to plug a lightning cable into your iPhone. You can plug the USB end into the quick switcher and then the, uh, the quick switcher into the USB-C port of your uh, Pixel. And it will then do a transfer of your Contacts, calendars, music, iMessage, messages, um, and a bunch of other elements to kind of make the switch from iOS to Android easy. So I, well, I should say iPhone to the Pixel easy. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, especially compared to something like the switch campaigns that Apple did many years ago. Yeah, uh, I think it's something that they need to do. Um. It's it's essentially a cable. It's like a USB-C to USB um, female connector cable so that you can plug uh, whatever sync cable you've got mm-hmm. into it and it will uh, then attach to an iPhone. I think it will also work with other Android phones. <laughs> um, and... You know, I, I think I think saying that they've got a switching story for the iPhone and they're coming after the iPhone is a good thing for them to do. I I assume, like I said, that this will also work with your Android phone, and if that's the case, then my guess is that it will be much more functional. Well, with the Android and, phone, you'll just switch it via your Google syncing. Like it's all done in the I, cloud. I guess, I guess, but then then you have to do it all in the cloud instead of just transferring it over. I think it's fine. I mean, again, I think it's a nice strategic thing. Um, all of Apple stats suggest that the the flow is not to Android from iPhone, but the other way around. But you know, it's a good. Um, they're making the case, right? They're saying, "Look, uh, we we we're targeting iPhone users. This is an iPhone uh, level product, iPhone price, and uh, we're going to make it easy because we want to bear." One of Apple's big advantages is that they built up a wall between you know their services and. Uh, and Android, so that people can't go across that wall. Now, you know, it, it's only going to transfer the stuff that it can transfer. So, you know, if you've got stuff that's in Apple's ecosystem, like your, uh, you know, Apple Music stuff, although there is Apple Music for Android, or a video you bought on iTunes or things like that, those those aren't going to transfer, mm-hmm. folks. That's not gonna not going to happen. But it's trying to to ease the ease the burden. And you know, we talk about the upgrade experience here all the time, right? Every fall when when the new iPhone comes out, about having this sort of delight of of, of upgrading that is not as delightful as it probably should be. And I think this is a, a way for uh, Google to give some of that to the pixel. Like if you're an iPhone person and you've decided to make the move, how do we make that easier? And instead of having to like search on the web for, um, all the different ways to, to do workarounds to transfer all your stuff or, you know, whatever that this is a, you know, it's a physical thing in the box that says, yes, we can get your stuff over through our software. If you haven't seen it, dear listener, I've put Google's ad for the pixel in the show notes. Cause I love this ad. So good. It's just a really well done ad. I love the music in it, um, and I think it's got a good attitude. I'm excited for this phone. I have one on the way. Um, should be arriving in a couple of weeks. I'm excited to check it out. All right. So there was a, a story over at Bloomberg uh, from oh boy, good friend oh, Mark Gurman mm-hmm. about Campus Two and some teams moving around inside of Apple. 
So this is a, an interesting story. So Apple is going to be unifying all of the separate internet service divisions into one campus. Now, this includes Siri, Maps, iCloud, Apple Pay, Apple News, iTunes, and Apple Music. These are currently, all of these teams are spread out across separate rented office spaces in Cupertino and Sunnyvale. These are all right. of the teams that are currently headed up by Eddie Q. And they're going to be taking all of these different teams and moving them into the old Infinite Loop campus. Right. So the, what the, first what they're going to do is they're going to move everybody who's going into Campus 2. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have uh, Infinite Loop presumably will be largely empty at that point because Campus 2 is much larger. And I assume everybody who's in Infinite Loop is basically highest priority. Uh, not necessarily, but let's just assume for simplicity's sake that, that the, you know, the most important teams are already at Infinite Loop. That's why they're there on the main campus. So they'll all move to Campus 2. And there will still be room at Campus 2 at that point for more people. But there will also be this whole Infinite Loop team and so the idea here is that they're going to put people in infinite loop they're still going to have other stuff too i mean apple's got so many employees and if you've never been to that part of the world you can drive down the streets in cupertino and see these office buildings and there are office buildings everywhere and almost all of them have an apple logo on the sign outside because apple has taken up a huge amount of space in cupertino and sunnyvale and into san jose they are they are all over the place so one of the nice things about campus too is that they're going to be able to get more of their employees together on a you know official ample campus instead of just in an office building down yep. the street from And it was definitely questioned what they were going to be doing with Infinite Loop. And this is your answer. They're keeping yeah. it. Yeah, oh, the, oh of course. They're absolutely keeping it. I mean I, I think they would they would uh their the sum of, of uh campus two and infinite loop is far is they're not going to be able to put everybody in there. They're still going to have stuff in Cupertino and Sunnyvale probably for a while because that's there's you know they have a lot of people, but they're going to get they they were going to get a higher percentage of their employees into these campuses. So uh, you know it was funny. I was thinking about this the other day, like what a colossal bit of logistics this is going to be because oh. you have to you have to move all those people. And you have to decide where they're going to go. And then you have the other space, because like I said, I don't think it's a one-to-one. It's a much larger campus. So who else gets to go to campus two who's currently not in Infinite Loop? So who are those people? And then you fill that up. And then and then there's the next question, which is who goes into Infinite Loop? Because you've got this other great campus that's right there, and it's got the internal courtyard, and it's got the it's not the shiny new thing, but it's way better than being in some, you know, third floor of some office building five blocks down the street from apple um and so uh that's and you get to go to cafe max which again is probably not anything like the awesome whatever it will be cafeteria at at campus too but it's maybe better than what you had so um just i've been fascinated by that like what no matter the company but in this case it's apple like who goes where and how do you set that up and what are the facilities like and so this is an interesting story because this says one of those things which is that um they're going to take the cloud teams and they're going to put them together and where they're going to go is in is in infinite loop um that will be one you know maybe it's a building or two in infinite loop i don't know i doubt they're going to fill up the whole thing but i don't know i don't know the capacity and i don't know the size of those groups but uh, that gets them all together in one place, and they're not now, which German says in his story, sort of like, it, it. one of the feelings may be that this is why Apple's services feel so disparate, is that they they are. The, those, the people working on those services are completely separate. I, I kind of feel a little bit bad for the internet services teams, 
right? I'm sure some of them thought that we're going to be going to the fancy new campus. Like, we're moving you guys to Infinite Loop, the old place. <laughs> you know, I kind of like, oh, man. You know, I wanted to go to the big donut, you know? That's where I wanted to go. So, yeah, you're right. German sources are saying that it's believed that the location difficulties is what is relating in the poorish product quality in places. Um, and it is felt internally that doing this, bringing all of these people together, having all of these teams work together, will help them compete with Amazon and, and Alphabet as they continue to stride forward into internet services. And considering how important Apple considers this part of their business, they're making some structural changes to try and increase collaboration between these teams. And you know, you're saying about like the amount of people going into uh, Campus 2, when it was originally planned, um, they, they said we're going to put 13,000 people there and Apple believed that this would be good for them. But they were, before it's even open, they know that they need even more space than what they've mm-hmm. got, which shows the scale at which the company is growing. Campus 2 is set to open early next year. Um, and there is some, again, this is all coming from uh, from German sources, but the idea is that Campus 2 is a modern, mainly open office space. Um, and there is some some talk about it is believed that you would have to be a vice president or above to get your own dedicated office space. Everybody else is going to be working in big teams. And Apple are doing this because they think it will enhance collaboration between the people working in their company, which is very interesting. I bet that will be a big change for them. Um, I think Apple, even within the company, yeah. is very secretive of each other. And, and I'm wondering, like, are they going to be mixing teams together or are they still going to be having these little fiefdoms within the open office space? You know, this is the kind of the, the internal stuff, which is uh, very interesting, I think. My guess is that these open spaces will be for teams. Um, but, you know, uh, depending on the space crunch, they may stick people mm-hmm. in in there. But I think that's the idea, is that it's open space for a team, for collaboration. I, I laughed at this whole uh, section ruefully, really, <laughs> because open offices, I mean, we did that at IDG. We went from a, a high, uh, lots of offices and uh, high uh, cube walls for the cubicle space. Yep to a almost no offices and um, sort of like VP only level offices and low cube wall collaborative space. And some people liked it and lots of people hated it. And German's story kind of nods at that, that, that they're going to be people who had offices who are going to lose them and they're not going to be happy. And they're going to be people who feel like they're kind of out in the open. It's going to be a cultural change. Yeah. I think it's an interesting idea. A lot of people at uh, executive levels and a lot of people who are involved in space planning like to get uh, really excited about, Oh, we're to make it a modern collaborative space and it will feel much more like a lot of other uh silicon valley operations probably by doing that but they are not often the ones who have to live with it and the people who work in the space will have to live with it and what we found at idg was that yeah it, it could be collaborative but depending on what job you're doing if you're coding or something like that or writing articles in our case what ends up happening is a lot of people put their headphones on and are are staring at their monitor and they can't hear you anyway if you try to collaborate with them from across the cube wall because they have to focus and they can't focus in that in that environment as well so you know it's different people have a different reaction to it but it'll be interesting to see how they how they react and and uh that will be a uh, facilities and hr uh 
challenge for them uh, just in, in they will get the shiny new space right but then reality sets in and you end up having to deal with how do I do my job in this space and that'll be it'll be interesting it's also going to be a productivity hit for them there's no doubt about it like I hope they're planning really hard for you know losing uh, uh, several weeks of productivity at Apple because that's what's going to happen when they move the whole company to a new campus um, and then move more of the company to the old campus they're gonna it's hard it's hard when you got to pack up your stuff and you've then you've got to unpack your stuff and you've got to get used to new, new circumstances you definitely lose productivity and the hope is just that the new space is so much better that you gain more than you lost i expect there'll be quite a lot of work done during apple's holiday shutdown for this well that would be a great time to do it right that would yeah. be a great time but even then what you're doing is uh what you're doing is taking the like the last week before the shutdown and packing all your stuff up and labeling your boxes and all of that and then when you come back after the shutdown your boxes are have magically mm-hmm. arrived in the new location but then you spend the first week unpacking your boxes and asking why the ethernet doesn't work and figuring out why the the you know the bathroom down the hall has a problem and one of the urinals doesn't work or the sink mm-hmm. has exploded and is spewing warm water everywhere and you know there sounds like you done this jason i have done this thing right i mean i have moved i have moved buildings and i have moved floors in office buildings uh (laughs) half a dozen times at least if probably more than that so uh yeah it's it's uh, and that was moving small groups and this is moving tens of thousands of people it's going to be um and it'll be phased in over time, but it's still, everybody is going to have to go through that period. So it's going to be, uh, I, I'm fascinated by it on the outside. I wonder if we'll hear people, there will probably be like leaks of people complaining that the new space is bad or that there's, mm-hmm. uh, just wait. I mean, I'm, pre- I'm going to predict it now that there's going to be a bathroom doesn't work, bathrooms don't work at campus two or an elevators don't work at campus two or food failure at campus two. We're going to get all of those stories from people who are grousing about about the fact that it's different because nobody likes change even if you're moving to the super spaceship campus that's gonna that means that you're gonna be survive you're gonna survive the apocalypse when it launches into space still if the bathroom doesn't work quite right you'll complain about it i do have a question about the thinking behind the collaboration yeah it seems strange to me that Apple are taking their people and moving them into a space because open offices and collaboration from Infinite Loop to Campus 2 will enable teams to work better together. But then mm-hmm. they're taking all of the disparate teams on the internet services that they want to work better together and putting them into the old secluded building. Okay, so if I had to guess, and this is just a guess, if I had to guess, what they're going to do is when they move a group out of Infinite Loop, they're going to then um, they're going to then tear tear the um, those buildings apart. And and redo them. Yeah, hmm. I think that's what's that going to happen. That would be the it, only way that would make sense, right? That's what would I do. This is the first time since Infinite Loop was built where they're really going to be able. I mean, I'm sure they've done it in play, you know, place by place, like to build Johnny Ives' group and stuff like that. They would take a space and they'd gut it and then they put it back together. But they're going to be able to do that with every space. And I, I, if I were at Apple and thinking about their facilities, that's what I would do. It's like, what can I do with this opportunity to have uh, have this space empty for the first time? in years. And the answer would be I want to replace stuff. I want to, you know, I want to upgrade the furniture and, you know, that's what we did at IDG at one point was we vacated the 6th floor on 2nd Street and they gutted it and then they rebuilt it. And when they rebuilt it, it didn't have offices anymore. And that's my guess is they will do some of that at Infinite Loop that those offices that the new groups will move into will be newly refurbished and probably in the same vein as what they're building at campus too, so that the campus, the infinite loop campus uh, offices feel 
similar or are meeting the same kind of philosophical workplace goals as uh, Campus 2. That's my guess. I, I, I don't know that. I have no facts. I'm just making that up. But based on my past, um, I, yeah. I would think that they would do that. And that, 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 that way they say, well, we're going to rip out these offices because our belief now is that we do want collaborative environments and only vice presidents and, and other senior uh, managers will, be, will have offices and everybody else will be out in bullpens. And so this office right now has eight offices and a small bullpen and we're going to make it so it has two offices and a huge bullpen and that's how we're going to do it. So that's my guess. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, at the very least, they should be. I would be shocked if they didn't do some of that just, I mean, leaving the goal of an open office aside, just because some of those spaces have probably not been renovated in a while. And the, and people moving into them probably don't want to feel like they're moving into the battered leftovers of the uh, the the most favored Apple employees who have gone off to their spaceship and left you with the remains, right? They probably want to make it like, a good new experience for the people moving in there too. And, uh, you know, unless they're so overwhelmed with moving to campus too, that they decided not to do that. But that would be my guess given Apple's resources and that this is a unique opportunity to do some rebuilds at infinite loop. And in true German style, <laughs> the report ends with a little <laughs> extra three paragraphs. It's that, like, we, 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 why make a second story when you can just drop this in here? A little tidbit <laughs> that we've never heard of before and nope. is just completely put under the rug. I don't know why yep. he does this, but I love I that know. he does. Yep. German is stating that Apple are moving their services infrastructure to their own system, which Apple is building, and it's codenamed Pi, which is a great yep. name. Apple Pi. Yep. yep. The platform will give Apple more control over the way that their online services expand and grow and is also said to reduce load times. Apparently, parts of Siri, Apple News, and the iTunes Store have begun this migration, and Apple is also building their own photo-sharing system so they don't have to keep relying on Google Storage and Amazon Storage for all of this sort of stuff. So I feel like we did know some of this because I've seen reports in the past about how Apple's goal is to build more of its own infrastructure. And because there was a story a while ago that was about like Apple spends huge amounts of money paying Amazon and Google for parts of their infrastructure, their cloud infrastructure, which kind of makes sense, right? Or and, and Microsoft at one point, although maybe they're not using Microsoft now, they did some switches too. I think that was what the story was, is like Microsoft was giving, giving a lot of money to, or Apple was giving money to Microsoft and then they, they ended up giving it to Amazon and they moved some of their servers. I don't remember the details, but the point is that story suggested that Apple was working on uh, the stuff that would allow them to deploy on their own stuff instead of using um, third parties for this infrastructure because a lot of these services i mean it goes back to the story about the 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 groups being separate a lot of these services were built separately and we've seen it you know anytime you use an apple id it's better now but like five years ago and google dealt with this too it used to be if you logged in with a google id in different places different things happened and with an apple id still to a certain degree you'll get that like i just put in my password but now it's asking for my password again and that's often because it's asking from somewhere else and the left hand doesn't know what right hand is doing and they're working on that and it's a lot better than it used to be but when you build these services up separately in large part, then uh, at some point, if you're Apple, you're like, can we get this all integrated on one platform? And, uh, you know, they all grew naturally on their own. And that's great because we need to get them up and running. But at this point, they would work better together and work better on our platform that we control instead of having to rely on AWS or on Azure or whatever. This is 
if Apple truly believes in internet services as part of their business, they need to have their own platform because what they are doing is using the platform of their competitors. Not that this is necessarily a problem, but it highlights a gap, doesn't it, right? Well, I I would say it highlights differences in what those businesses are are, are doing. I don't think if, if Apple decided that its expertise that that it was being served well let's put it that way by aws or azure then you know apple is not in that game apple is never going to be i think a major who knows you never say never but a major player in in providing cloud services for other businesses and and huge online storage no. right that that's like the, amazon's got that business i'm not you know, i'm not it, saying that they're going to make it for for other people but but like I, I basically mean that like it it's just telling to me that google has mastered it for themselves at such a level same as amazon that they're able to give that technology out to other people like they're so confident in it and i don't but, think apple will ever have apple brand storage but they they i believe that it is prudent for them to make their own system that they run their own services on because I think it will help them make them better over time. I think what I would say is that Amazon and Google started on the web. So they had to build their own services because sure. what they did what they did was the web. And so that was their business. And so you have to do that. You have to control that. And you have to build that over time. And Microsoft and Facebook and, you know, you have to do that over time. And Apple starts as a hardware company and a software company. And they're not a web company. And then they start adding web services. But when you're building those web services and it's an ancillary part of your business, what do you do? You you use the tools that you can off the shelf and you including web services and, and bandwidth from other providers because why would you reinvent the wheel there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you get, and, and so I don't think it's a problem that Apple relies on them. I think though, what you're saying, let me see if I get this right. Cause I, I think I agree with what you're saying ultimately is at, at some point, it's such an important part of Apple's business. Like so many other things in the history of Apple where they realize we can't be reliant on anyone else for this. Yep. We have to control this. Our products will always be limited by the limitations of our of our whether they're competitors or not by our providers yes. because there's only so much that we can get out of it. If we want it's it's like uh, using a stock processor in the iPhone versus using an Apple custom built processor. Yep. At some point they may want to do things with their cloud services that they can't do unless they get new features and at that point it's like why don't we just do this ourselves? I think it's took a long time for them to get there. And I think there are, you'd be surprised, I think most people would be surprised at how many businesses do use AWS, you know, for for, for stuff, use Amazon's bandwidth and Amazon's servers. Or, you or can use tell when AWS goes down and none of the websites that you use work Lots anymore. of sites just die, right? So uh, I, I think that's not a black mark on anyone for using that. But I do think, yeah, you're right. At some point, services, when Apple's talking about the growth of their services industry, their services uh, line in their budget, that uh, that's when you look look at it and say we need to take complete control over this mm-hmm. because we're apple and we can do things that we probably should do on our own and honestly i mean there are a lot of people who roll their eyes at apple and online services and they think apple's really bad at it but you know how, this is one of those uh, signs of maybe apple growing up 
in terms yep. of online services, saying, saying, you know, we, yes, yes, they spent years cobbling things together. And it was cobbled together because they weren't a, 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 a online services first company. They were online services third, maybe. Um, and, and this is the point where they're like, we're going to move in to this building together and we've got everybody working together and we've got a new, we've got this pie thing, which is our new thing that we're building that everything's going to go on top of. And it's like, this is them graduating. This is them growing up and saying, yeah, we're going to take control of this and we're going to make these decisions. Now, product could be good. Product could be bad. I don't know, but it is a sign that they are taking it seriously, which I think was always the biggest number on Apple and online services was that they didn't it was all scattershot and they they didn't take it as seriously as they as they maybe should have bringing up the uh, system on a chip for the iOS devices I think is the perfect like comparison for this right they knew they needed their own stuff that they made or they designed at least so they could build their products out right and another we can't finish this segment without bringing up the Mac right this is the problem they are beholden to Intel Right, yeah. Intel's release cycles and their schedules, which is why we have no new computers. And and I see there being a world in which if they don't build their own online services infrastructure, they will be in that point with trying to use Azure or AWS if they're not already. You know, right? That that there is some something that they want to do that these systems won't allow. And frankly, neither Microsoft or Amazon or Google are that incentivized to help Apple. You know, yeah. Not that they wouldn't, right? Because these are separate parts of the business. Those business parts of the business want to make money and having Apple use their platform probably makes them a lot of money. A lot of money, yeah. But I'm sure there's some kind of internal politics which might mean that Apple's requests get dragged ever so slightly slower. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I think it's more likely that they're just treated as a not even a generic client, but as a good client, but still a client, right? And they've but got, they don't dictate how the product moves, right? Even you know? if even if Apple is using four percent or two percent of Amazon's web services uh, bandwidth or whatever. It's you know, drop in the bucket, and it's probably mm-hmm. not that much. And and so, are you really going to prioritize their services? Especially, yes, when they're a competitor. But are you going to prioritize anyway, even if they're not a competitor? Their they their job is to um, you know make their make all of their clients happy and grow their business and things like that. So it's not you know it's not the same as being the number one. And I'll do we'll do everything you want for that. You really need to you need to own it. And mm-hmm. and that's uh, and it it could go as far. I doubt it will, but it could go as far as what Facebook does, right? Where Facebook's building their own servers and their their, their own reference platform for servers. And Google, I think, is doing that too. And um, in the chat room, the, we've got the suggestion from all that uh, you know they could make their own chips for data centers too. I doubt they would, but they could if they wanted to. There's you know it, uh, one of the calculations here is literally for Apple, like what's important, like the Mac. It's like is it important enough for them to go down this route? of uh, building their own, doing a chip transition or building their own x86 reference system, um, or is it not worth it? And I, I, you know, I think probably it's not worth it for them. For the iPhone, totally worth it. Yeah, I think at um, this point in the Mac's life, it's not worth it. I, I, I think I think that's probably true. Um, I could see, again, I think the most really it would sorry, be... I'm really sorry, everybody, but... Yeah. You know. I think the most it would be is something like a deal with Intel, where it's like, can we do a custom thing that we yeah. do, or Intel or AMD, where they say, you know, we want to work with you to do this variation that's an Apple uh, variation on an Intel processor. And uh, Intel might be up for that, might not be, I don't know. But I, I don't think they would necessarily take it beyond that because of where the Mac is in terms of its growth potential and all that. It's just, it's a good business, but that's, they, they got to pick their, they got to pick their spots. I was yeah. Yeah, a say, good way to this, think about it yeah. is like if you think, oh, well, they definitely should do that. Do you think, dear listener, that Apple should make a completely different chip for the iPad? 
because they're comparable markets by sale volume these days, you know? Yeah. And they're not going to do that either. Like, that's just where they are. They've got their custom chip for the iPad. They get no, that. But it's the same one they use for the iPhone, right? Yeah. They, More or less. Yeah. More or less. The, I, I just wanted to mention the classic example, the rude example here of Apple's independence is Internet Explorer, where the Mac, why does the Mac have Safari and iWork, really, is because there was a time when, in the, in the uh, pre-iPod days where the Mac was the only product Apple did, and it was being judged by people as being too slow, and the number one reason it was being judged as being too slow was in web browser tests. And Apple was furious because they felt like the only reason that their computer was being judged badly against Windows was because Microsoft's web browser, which was the default browser at the time on the Mac, believe it or not, was slow. And it was, i.e., was way better on Windows than on the Mac. And that's why Safari exists. <laughs> Safari exists because Apple wanted the Mac to um, look good on web browser tests. And they realized Microsoft was never going to prioritize that because what did they care? And uh, Apple cared a lot. And that's why WebKit and, uh, and Safari came to be. So this is just, I mean, it goes back a long way. It goes back 15 plus years, 16 plus years where Apple has been uh, trying very hard to pick the most important things and gain as much control over those things as it possibly can. And so in the cloud, I mean, this story makes sense, right? This is, this is, it's time. It's, it's maybe past time, but it's definitely time. All right. So should I take a break? Yep. This week's episode is brought to you by Casper the company focused on sleep that has gone ahead and created the most perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers. They eliminate commission-driven inflated prices and a lot of the hassle that goes along with buying a mattress, like having to go to a store and then sit on that mattress and then decide if you want to spend thousands of dollars and take it home and then sleep on it for the next 10 years. That is a really weird way to buy a product. There aren't many other products where we would spend that much time with them, where what we do is just sit on them for five minutes. Like, think about buying like a car, right? You take it for a long test drive and you maybe do that a couple of times and you see, you don't take like a mattress home and sleep on it for a day and then decide if you want to buy it. But imagine if there was a company that would let you buy a mattress and then sleep on it for a hundred nights before you decided if you wanted it. That company is Casper. This is the, the beauty of this online ordering system. You choose what mattress you want. They do a bunch of different sizes, including twin size, twin XL, full, queen, and a king. They go from $600, $500 for the twin size, $600 for the twin XL, $750 for four, $850 for queen, $950 for king. Great prices. You choose which one you want. Casper will send it to you in an impossibly small box, and then you get to try it for a 100 nights. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. And I reckon you will love it, because the Casper mattress was developed in-house by engineers who spent thousands of hours on it. They obsessively engineered it, and they should sell it at those shockingly fair prices. They have springy latex and supportive memory foam to create a mattress that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce, and it will regulate your temperature throughout the night with their brief design. Now, Mr. Jason Snell, I believe that you have a Casper mattress, do you not? Of course I do, yes. And what is your opinion of that Casper mattress? Do you find it to have just the right sink? <laughs> Definitely the temperature profile has changed where we don't, I, I feel like we don't uh, have to regulate our, our temperature as much in the in the bed because it is, uh, it, it's not going to be all hot and uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, it's a very comfortable mattress. Like I've said on podcasts before, um, 
our old mattress felt kind of like a trampoline. It was like you'd sit on it and the cat would be on the other side and the cat would be like ejected from the bed when you sat down on one side of the bed. And the, the Casper, you know, again, you got the sink, but it's also, uh, it's also firm. So you, uh, so you don't, uh, you're not like laying on a, a waterbed, nor are you laying on a, a, a sheet of granite. So it's, uh, yeah, it feels great. I've had it for what it's, I think it's coming up two years now and, uh, I love it. So you've well passed that 100 night. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They can't take it back now, and I, I, that's fine because I don't want them to. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash upgrade and use the code upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply as casper.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this very program and Relay FM. So, Mr. Snell, I we didn't have many uh, Ask Upgrade questions in a document this week, which is very rare. There's always many, many, many to choose from, but yep. for whatever reason, we didn't have many. So I asked our dear listeners on Twitter if they would share some, and we, I was inundated with fantastic questions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we're going to do a bumper ask upgrade this week, because there were there were just too many to, to, too many. to not pick. So we'll start off, we'll start off easy, okay? We're going to start off okay. with Elizabeth's question. She said that she noticed that I used Trello on my iPhone home screen and wanted to know what I use it for. Trello is a very interesting product. Um, I believe that it kind of at its core, it's made for software development, right? It's called Kanban, I think, the system, uh, where you have these boards and you move these cards between them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting system, and there is a methodology of software development that I can't remember the name of right now. That is Agile. Agile. Nailed it. Look how mm-hmm. look at you. You just got it. You just, I can always rely on you, Snell. Yeah. Um, and it, people use it for this, but we do use it. Uh, me and Stephen use it at Relay FM to keep track of our sales funnel for advertisement for sponsorship. Oh. So, like, when a, a company contacts us, and then we kind of move them along the process as to like if we're contacting them, if we sent them information, if we sent them documents, and then are they sold, and then do we need to contact them later? So we use it for that, just as a way to kind of track our sales funnel, if you will. Uh, which is a, a very important thing for us to check to make sure that we're keeping uh, on track of everything. And Trello has has really been a, a boon to our productivity there. So it's a, it's a great way for me and Stephen to collaborate on this, um, as well as just keeping track in our minds as to, to where these companies are in our system. Do you use Trello? Uh, a little bit. You know me in organizational systems, Mike. It's all in your calendar, right? <laughs> it's all in the calendar. It's yeah, the it's calendar. Uh, it's uh, and a reminders list. So... Um, yeah, I, I have used it and I use it for, uh, some things, but it's very limited. Like I, I use it sometimes as a, as a to-do list or a checklist if we're working on a project. Um, when we were doing the, uh, incomparable and six colors memberships, I, ha- I used it as a place to list sort of like everything that needed to happen before we got to the end and we could leave notes and all that, but I've never really kind of fully embraced it. However, I will say, um, tidbits and take control ebooks they uh they use trello a lot so when i was going through the process of writing my uh, ebook this summer and the last two summers when we were doing the original and the updates uh, all of the milestones for that are handled in trello so we'll end up like uh, moving the cards along in their process and that's very much like what we used to do with physical cards for a long time uh at the magazines that i worked at where we used to have a, a tracking system that was literally just three by five cards that would move from left to right across the process until they reached final and Trello works just like that if you wanted to. So it's kind of a digital version of that same kind of card stack for uh, workflow. It's very good. It's a very good, yeah. very good piece of software. And the uh, iOS apps are fantastic. You can like drag and drop the little cards around. They're really, really mm-hmm. great. 
Uh, Rajiv asks, is there a bug in iOS 10 where you can't send messages with the effects from the lock screen? I don't know if you would, if I would class this as a bug. It feels more like a decision or a limitation because you also can't send the effects or stickers or anything from notifications. So if you answer a message in a notifications window, all of those stuff require you to open the messages app. Um, I don't. I think this might just be a decision for the time being because I suppose that they're not. You know, these aren't the full applications. They're not using the full right. memory, um, and these things require probably quite a lot of access to the system to memory. So they need to be in the full application to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to mention something super quick. Uh, do you remember we were talking a couple of weeks ago about lasers and the uh, taptic that the lasers gives you? Yeah, and there were a bunch of people that said that it wasn't the taptic; it was sound. Now I have I have a little thing about this. So on ATP a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about there being this like third DAC or something yes. in the in the phone, and that's part of the taptic. So I did a little bit of investigation. If you have if you send somebody lasers and have the sound on, it makes a sound that you can hear, like a sort of a type sound. Uh-huh. If you put Very your nice. phone on, if you put your Gotta phone have on lasers mute, in Ask Upgrade, so thank you for doing that. Do what I can. If you put your uh, 7, I, I can only attest to this on the 7 Plus, but I'm sure the 7 is the same. Put your phone same. on silent. Yep. Hold your phone to your ear, and you can hear the same sound that the Taptic Engine is making. It is making hmm. the same audio sound as the sound actually plays. <laughs> wow. Because basically it's, it seemed that what the ATP guys had discovered was that the, the little Taptic Engine is actually a speaker and it's just right. playing it like very loudly and very fast. So if you hold it to your ear, you can hear the sound. There you go. There's a little. But it is. It, it is. That's that's definitely true. That if it's in silent and you get lasers, you, it, your phone vibrates. Mm-hmm. It Absolutely, hundred totally percent. Mm-hmm. But if you put your phone to your ear, you can hear the sound that it makes. Super cool. Also, you can hear the sound of the sea. You can. <laughs> it's just your own ear, Jason. That's all it is. Oh, okay. Nick wanted to know, because, uh, well, he wrote in to say, it's even weirder in messages, something he finds very strange, because we talked about the strangers and messages last week, that recent ink drawings show up in recent stickers, right? So you've got the recent thing. If you do the little hand drawing thing, yep. and, I mean, yeah, it's just a strange thing. But again, I wanted to mention something else that I find super strange. Recently used stickers also sync from device to device, whether you had the pack installed or not. Yep. You can also not use sticker packs on the Apple Watch, right? That's true. But... But you your recently used stickers also appear on the Apple Watch. Ah, oh, it's craziness. So it's, close, it's, right? So it's, close to syncing it, them. It's 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 similar. And mm-hmm. then um, somebody else wrote in. I don't have who this is, but somebody else pointed out when I was um, complaining about the fact that you've got your ink drawing interface and you've also got the digital touch interface that you can draw on. Mm-hmm. That um, there's a third interface you can draw on, yeah. which is if you use markup on a photo. That's another place that you can draw. You can drawing, mark up drawing a, everywhere. Mar- mark up a photo and send that too. Yeah, I think at this point we definitely need the Apple Pencil for the iPhone, right? If you draw everything. Yeah, yeah. I talked to somebody who suggested that the reason digital touch is so big on iOS 10 is like literally when the Apple Watch shipped with digital touch, the the some me- messages team was like really excited about digital touch and they were in, encouraged. You know, you got to start building the I- iOS you know version of digital touch because we got it's gonna it's gonna be big. It's gonna be big. Uh, and and then they finished it or got close to finishing it. And meanwhile, everybody had rethought digital touch and they're like, but we we built this whole thing. And they're like, all right, put it in there, whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but that that I has the ring that. of truth about it, right? That they I they get all revved up. It's like we well, we know we're gonna, the next release is going to have digital touch in it, so let's go, let's do that. Oh, oh well. 
Kim wrote in to ask, what smart home technology um, do I expect to be adding to my new house? So I have the Amazon Echo. I have some Wemo switches that I've bought but not set up. And we're going to be putting Hue lights in the house as well to begin with. Now, I just wanted to mention this to answer the question, but we're going to be discussing this on Upgrade in the near future uh, once I've actually bought and used some of these devices. So we we have a big home automation topic that we've been planning to talk about for some time. Um, but I'm so close, hopefully, to actually buying and installing this stuff that I think it might be best to wait until I actually do have it. But that's what I'm looking to get. Um, there isn't really a lot of HomeKit stuff, so I'm basically just trying to find things that work with at least the uh, the uh, Echo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would be interested at some point uh, when you are done with uh, the house business and you're starting to shop for home home tech, there might be a little preview that we could do of talking about what you're what what more stuff you're considering um but uh yeah when when do you think uh when do you think that might happen how's the house looking house update with how it stands right now and i feel like i've said this over and over and over again we should own the home within about two weeks all right and uh yeah okay Speaking of uh, the Echo, Blake wanted to know, do you think that Apple will really release a Google Home or Echo competitor? What do you think, Jason? Siri in a box? I, I do. I think you they think will. think they're gonna? I think they will. I mean, I, I don't think it's a guaranteed. I think that there, there are now reports that they are building it. I wrote a story like six months ago saying they should build one because I'd been using my Echo and really liking it. And the idea of a better sounding speaker that has access to Apple Music and Siri uh, kind of interests me. Um, It would certainly have things that would do better and certainly things that would do worse than these others. But I would like to see it. The rumors are there's a story that they are actually building one. Doesn't mean they'll ship it, but that they have a team working on it. I feel like given Apple's affinity for music and the fact that they have Beats and they have Apple Music, that this is a natural for them and they have Siri, right? And it's not it's not like 100%, like I said, but I feel like they've got so many of the parts here that it would fit in their ecosystem pretty well. And that feels like that's enough. And then you add in HomeKit, right? Like they, there is enough in Apple's ecosystem right now. And I, my time with the Echo has convinced me that just saying, well, talk to your phone instead of having one of these things in your house is not a good answer, that these things fill a niche that is not filled by having devices you can talk to that are in your pocket, that um, it makes too much sense for them to do it. Um, So I think because of that, not just because of my own wish for this product, I'd say that there's a better chance than not that it will eventually be released. Now, when? Next year, maybe. But but I, I think there's a chance. Uh, better than better than not. And Lachlan wants to know if we use Apple News. Absolutely not. Never, not ever, not once. I just I have no interest for um, a product like Apple News to be honest, because it's just not the type of content that I consume. And if I wanted to do this sort of stuff, then I would go with RSS because I know it works and I can choose everything that I want to get, and I know there won't be any issues with the formatting or whatever. Yeah, I don't use it either. Do you use it as a publisher? Uh, yes, uh, Six Colors is in there, although I'm not using the Apple News format, but they, Apple News rendering is very good at taking my RSS, which contains full text of Six Colors, and rendering it quite nicely, and that's all I really that's all I really need. So I, cool. I, I was going to say I use it largely to check and make sure that Six Colors is displaying properly in Apple News. That's about it. This is the first of two of the three questions actually submitted Ooh. by Relay FM hosts. Yes. Uh, Micah of Disruption wanted to know what killer feature 
Would it take for Jason to join the Plus Club despite his reservations? Is there something that Apple could seriously add to this phone that would be a real kind of just like a deal breaker, like you have to get it? Do you think? You know, I'm going to answer this in an unexpected way, which is I'm going to say the killer feature would be um, cellular connectivity on the Apple Watch. Oh, that's really, you're so smart. That's such a great answer. <laughs> because, you know, the fact is I, I walk the dog and I run and uh, I am not going to bring a plus with me when I'm yep. doing those things. Yep. It's huge. So if I could leave it at home and so that my phone didn't need to come with me in those circumstances um, and then, you know, also maybe some podcast support from, you know, like Overcast or something on the watch as well, that would be nice. But as long as I'm running and I and I have my phone with me, then I'm not going to get a bigger phone. Bottom line. Okay, I get that. It's, a, it's actually a really good answer for it, right? Like because then you wouldn't need to carry it around, and then you'd get all the benefits of the big phone when you right. actually wanted to use I'll, the phone. I like the big phone. I mean, I have I have, still have my review unit of of the big phone, and I use it every now and then. And I'm I'm impressed with how I like the screen size. I like there's so much about it I like, but I'm not gonna put that in my shorts pocket and and go for a run. It's not gonna happen. I think the feature that could also move you and will move a lot of people is removing the chin and the forehead and the bezels. Well, if if the big phone got smaller, that would help. Sure, absolutely. I think that's I, honestly, I think that will move a lot of people, but we're going to have to wait and see if and when that will happen. Right. I believe it will. I, I'm really not sure what I think about this idea of the unicorn phone or glass or screen or blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know how I feel about that, but I do think that the next version, the next full version of the, the, the new phones will remove a lot of the bezels around the screen at least. Um, because many other phone makers are doing this. For some reason, Google didn't with the Pixel. They added them back, which is really weird because a lot of Android phones have been getting rid of them. But uh, it, it brings the size of the phone down and keeps the screen, yeah. which is yep. which is a really interesting proposition. Katie Floyd of Mac Power Users wanted to know, Jason, that uh, Katie needs to demo WatchOS 3 to her Mac user group. Any ideas of the best way to do this? How can you show what's on an Apple Watch to a group of people? So I think there are two options here. And one is if you can get one of those overhead cameras that they do make where you, mm. uh, you, you know, you've got a little table and it's got a little camera. They, they do these a lot in schools. Um, but the other way to do it is take a lot of screenshots <laughs> uh, yeah. and put them in keynote. And I hate to, I hate to say that those are the two options, but that's basically it. There's no, there's no tethered, uh, you know, I guess can you can you run Watch OS in in Xcode? I guess that might be the other way to go, but I'm yeah, not sure how functional it is in the simulator. I'm not sure it's it's particularly functional for regular features. So there, it's it's pretty limited to that. I I think the best thing would be if there's a thing you could rent or borrow from someone that's one of those uh, little overhead. Uh, little overhead projector things where you, you know, overhead cameras where you lay lay something down and and people can see what you've got beneath it, and it basically is taking the camera input, and then you could like put the watch down and mm-hmm. zoom in on it, and because then you uh, could also show the buttons that you're pressing as well. So exactly, it might be even better if you yeah. can actually find a way to do that. This is what Apple does, right? In their own little way, they just have somebody standing over the like the col- the shoulder of somebody and yeah. during the demos, you know. Yeah, but that's almost what you have to do is just get a camera. Um, and do it or like i said take a lot of screenshots and that's a lot of work but there's no video capture that we know of for 
So I'm gonna OS. I'm gonna combine this question and the next question into a potential answer for KT as well. Dan wanted to know what tripod I'm using on my iPhone for my YouTube videos. Now I'm using two products right now. One of them is the Joby GorillaPod, and they make one for the phone which has magnetic feet, which is really cool, and it has this little mm-hmm. clamp grip thing on it. But you can take that off and add something like a glyph to it because it's just a, a mount. What Katie could do is get one of these and film herself of her iPhone and then stream the view of her iPhone camera, right? Because there's a bunch of ways that you can do that. You could yes. plug it into a Mac or whatever. So instead of getting an overhead projector, you could just Use set your up your iPhone as a camera and then you could kind of film mm-hmm. yourself demoing it. Um, plus, I really love this Joby thing because it has the magnetic feet, so I can just stick it to things. So I've been like sticking it to things in my kitchen and stuff and taking time lapses and things like that, which is real fun. Uh, there is also one other product which I just just got and put in a video. I kind of dedicated half of a YouTube video to it, which is called the uh, Osmo Mobile by DJI. Um, they're the company that makes a lot of the drone stuff, and they make uh-huh. they make a lot of these things. And basically, it is a gimbal. Um, for the iPhone, which allows me to take super smooth footage and to have really good control of the the phone and move it around like a little camera. And I absolutely love this little thing, Jason. It is a very, very nice piece of technology. But yeah, it ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. But it's allowing me to get a lot of the quality that I'm looking for um, without needing to buy a big camera. And I have this little thing that I can attach to my phone and I'm good to go. So I really like it. David wanted to also know, uh, what camera app do you recommend to take advantage of the iPhone 7 Plus features and cameras? Um, I've been using an app called ProCam for some stuff recently, which is really good. Uh, ProCam allows you to choose which camera you want to take things with. It does raw footage. Um, it's really, It really is a very cool piece of kit. Um, and and I'm or app I should say. Uh, so I, I really do like ProCam. I don't know if you've tried anything or have any suggestions for for any products. No, no. I think I think Lightroom just got another update that added some more features in and its uh, in its compatibility with the with the new camera, uh, where you can switch between the cameras and things like that in, in Lightroom. But I have not I have not gone down in there. That's a that's a hashtag Ask Mike on upgrade question. <laughs> Yeah, if so that, that's one. the one I would recommend because yeah. it's the one that I've tried, um, and I and I think it's really cool because it it has it has way more controls than I could probably ever understand, um, and that's probably a, that probably means that it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I I seriously don't understand a lot of what's going on there, but uh, I think it's really cool. That's it. Confusion is a feature. Confusion is a feature. It definitely is. Um, and we have a question from I'm going to say stay. Uh, Stay asks, can you remember the first time you thought the internet might be a big deal or what was your first memory of using the internet? You go first. Um, I remember uh, as a kid, I don't know how old I was, um, we used to go to my uncle's house and my uncle had the internet, right? So this is probably in the early 90s um, and because he had it at home for work because he, he worked at British Telecom. And he had the internet at home, and we used to have to ask him for the code because he had one of those secure ID two-factor thingamajigs at the time to, to log on to the, the, the connection that he had at home because mm-hmm. it was provided by the company. And I remember uh, going online and going to the BBC website 
to play these very primitive games that they had on their website. And that was when like, I fell in love with using the internet then. And every time I used to go to his house, we, I used to just bug him constantly for him to connect me to the internet. Wow. So that's, that, that's um, my thing cuz I mean that's like basically the internet has been around for the majority of my memories mm-hmm. but that's the earliest memory that I have of using it. It's good. So for me it's the fall of 1988. <laughs> I went to college and uh the story is actually that I was working I I volunteered to work on my college uh the college newspaper which is not the university wide but one of the one of the small colleges at UC San Diego and they being a a college of, you know, gigantic nerds, (laughs) they did their college newspaper in, uh, on the, the, uh, Vax and Unix systems at UCSD. So I had to get, I had to go to the applied physics and math building where the computer resources thing was and get an account on the, on the, the Vax or VMS, whatever. And it was, uh, just it was an account without a name. It was like PA ten thirty three, where the PA stood for personal account. They didn't let you choose your name, nothing like that, and a password. And then I was taught by one of the editors uh, of this, you know, little college paper, uh, how to use VI to edit text, which I still use to this day. Which blows my mind that the, the stupid thing that I thought I learned for one ridiculous and arcane reason I still use because I if I need to edit a file in the terminal I will just use VI because I know how to use VI because I learned it in 1988 so so that gave me a computer account and I learned how to use VI and they would use like PostScript to print out pages and lay them out and I didn't I wasn't involved with that I was sort of writing a copy editing Um, but now I have the account and uh, friends of mine from high school discovered that uh, you know we discovered that we all had these these internet accounts and that, and then we discovered we could send email back and forth, and that this was a revelation because instead of I mean, literally, we were writing letters to each other, and with email, it just was instantaneous. It was free and instantaneous. We weren't calling them, we weren't writing them letters, we were sending them emails. And I remember going to the computer lab and having like conversations with people in email where I would say, "Oh, how's it going? This is going on," and send it, and then just sit there and wait, and then. A few minutes later, you have mail, and I, I would read the mail, and it would be the response from that person. Um, and in some places, you could use the talk protocol, which was like a direct chat, live chat, but um, UCSD turned that off because um, <laughs> I think everybody was using it to talk to their friends. And so uh, we just used email for that. And that was that was my first memory of the internet. And then from, from that email, I also discovered, uh, and I don't know who told me about it, I discovered Usenet news groups. And all of a sudden, there were you know a huge community of people on message boards basically talking about everything that you could think of. And uh, so that was all in like the fall of 88 and the, uh, and the spring of 89. And uh, that's my, that's my story. And the first time I used the web was in, I'm going to say like the fall of 92, spring of 93, right when the web started. Um, and I, I remember the first time I connected on my Mac to the internet directly instead of through a command line. And I got to load a web browser and, and use Eudora for my email. And suddenly my Mac was on the internet. And that was a, a revelation, too. Because up to that point, using your computer to be on the internet was dialing in somewhere to a Unix system. It was basically, if you've ever opened the terminal, that's what the internet was for the first five years that I used it, was a terminal window. That's my story. It's a nice story. Old times. 
at the time we were on the cutting edge, it was super amazing. And now it's just a story about the olden days. Amazing how that happens. Finally today, Stephen Hackett wants to know, how does Jason oh, feel about fruit in other places rather than just pizza? What about in a salad or on top of a dessert? Wow. Well? I don't put, I don't put fruit other than pineapple on pizzas, um, unless you consider sun-dried tomatoes fruit. They're kind of fruity, but they're not. Uh, well, tomato is a fruit, so I would consider I, it I guess. Uh, I, how do I feel about fruit? It's so complicated, Stephen Hackett. Listener Stephen, um, I like some fruit. My uh, favorite fruit is the uh, mineola, uh, which is a tangelo. I like it a lot. Um, other places than pizza, there's some there's some nice fruit that can be used in, in in desserts. I like a good like a pear crisp or something like that. Those are good. Um, I make jam out of fruit, and we'll put those on on things, and those are really tasty. Fruit in a salad, eh, I guess. I've had salads like with dried cherries and things in them, and they're fine. But I don't know. I, I most of my fruit consumption is uh, is probably just directly the eating the fruit and not using it as toppings in other places. But um, you know, I recommend people listen to that members episode of Clockwise and Top Four where I talk about salad and my Clock general dis- general dislike of it. <laughs> but there it is. I uh, had some pineapple pepperoni pizza for dinner last you know, night and finished it for lunch today i made a uh, pizza the other night and i took a picture of it and everybody freaked out on twitter because it didn't have pineapple on it my my answer to that is pineapple pizza for me is like when i having somebody make a pizza for me and they've got all the ingredients because keeping a can of pineapple around just to top part of a pizza occasionally is not it, it's it ends up being that we use like a tiny bit of the pineapple and the rest of it goes to waste, which is a shame. So at home, I generally don't put pineapple on pizza because I don't have pineapple chunks just at the ready at the drop of a hat. So I, I don't do it there. That's my story. Awesome. Right, that wraps it up. Uh, we would obviously love for you to continue sending your hashtag AskUpgrade questions. You can tweet them to me. You can tweet them to Jason. You don't have to tweet them to anyone, but you must include the hashtag AskUpgrade that'll go into our sheet, and that way we'll be able to answer them on, on other shows. We love doing this. It's actually one of my very, very favorite things, and I'm always very surprised at just how many come through every week. Like, yes. I, like the fact that I had to ask for more this week is a, is a rarity. There's mm-hmm. always more than we can do. So please continue sending them in. We had some great ones this week so we just had to spend a little bit more time than usual to uh to, to to answer them i want to mention one more time in our show notes this week which you can find at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 110 is where you will find the links for all of our amazing merchandise i should have mentioned that earlier that's where you can go relay.fm slash upgrade slash 110 or it should be in your podcast app of choice it should be right there you can see a lovely picture of our t-shirts uh-huh. so you can see what they look like and then you can find all of the links to cotton bureau and teespring to go and buy as much of that merchandise as your lovely frame can handle. Uh, We would very much appreciate that. If you want to find uh, us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can go to sixcolors.com or theincomparable.com for Jason's work online. Um, And of course, at Relay.fm because Jason's Mm. host of all the great shows. All the great shows. Four now, right? Uh, Yeah, I think that's right. You're catching up on me. Mm -hmm. I'm coming for you. Watch out. Jason right is you. also at Jason L J S N E double on Twitter. I am at iMike, I M Y K E. Of course, you can find this show and many more at relay.fm. I host many. And I'm also at youtube.com slash Mike Hurley as well for my new little video project that I've been working on. 
Um, I am on Twitter. I don't know if I said this. I'm at I'm Mike. I am YKE. Thanks yep. again to our lovely sponsors, Mac Walden and Casper, for sponsoring this week's episode. And thank you for listening. Thank you if you buy any merchandise. If you don't, it's okay. We still love you. And you'll be able to listen to us again next week, as always. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snow. Sent with balloons. Why not lasers? <laughs> I went the other way. <laughs>